Guerrero uh, from Global Justice Now. And so what for you would a good COP outcome look like? Well, we are pressing and we are, I know that it may be uh, very, very difficult, but we still wanted to see an announcement of a target of zero by 2030 instead of net zero. We wanted to see uh, a higher climate finance um, for developing countries and then also technology transfer because most of, most of the solutions as well in terms of technology are in the hands of transnational corporations. So we want to see how, how will that be accessed by the developing countries. And uh, maybe, although I'm very pessimistic with, with what will happen, what I find as, as um, something that, that brings hope is the, uh, so what you've seen here, the solidarity of the different groups, the solidarity of uh, various campaigns that are coming together and looking at climate justice, not just on their own lens now, but, but how those intersectional uh, issues can, can be bring together. So the, the, the best of feminism, the best of, of indigenous knowledge and practices, uh, the, the best of, of um, uh, trade unionism, all those experiences and, and knowledge on mid movement building are, are like here in one big pot mm. so so all that um, is, is is very hopeful and that um, we know that we can that our next task as well is to push for, for our government to do what is right uh, we know that there's a big imbalance between between the the powerful and rich countries in the cop who always gets what they want and and and, and, the, and the developing countries but we we hope that this will show the world as well that it may be um, it, 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 it may be slow, but change is coming. That because the people climate change, climate justice is now on everyone's dining table discussion. So ten years ago, climate is like a fringe uh, event in, in big big conferences that you will have on the, on day three of a five day event you have climate, but it it, it is now in the center of the discussion and, and the amount of news that is also being generated by this is also incredible. That, that means that there real, there's a real appetite for people to understand climate. So we need to transform that appetite for a big push for government uh, also to demand climate justice. My name's Nick Deard and I'm the director of Global Justice Now. I mean, obviously, um, there's everything about trying to actually make emissions reductions that are going to be meaningful and, and keep us within 1.5 degrees, and everyone knows that, but, but also, you can't ignore the other side of the equation, which is which is about the climate finance, which is about supporting countries that are nothing to create climate change, um, to actually begin to develop a low, low carbon economies. Because if they can't do that, you're, you're saying to them, either people in your country have to live in poverty forevermore, um, as a result of the fact that you can't use the atmospheric space that we use to develop, um, or they will just do it anyway, um, and, 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 and that will be bad for everybody. So that, that, that piece of the puzzle, I think, is really, really important, and we're nowhere near it. We're absolutely nowhere near it. So, you know, we've talked about 100 billion, you know, that, that figure's been bandied around. It's not really related to anything, and we would say it's completely inadequate um, for the scale of the problem. But uh, actually, a lot of the money that's, that's even come in for that 100 billion is, is in the form of loans, um, is private sector money, which is um, you know, being invested in all sorts of dubious projects. So 
we need to completely and utterly rethink how we fund and finance um, the climate revolution that needs to happen all around the world, putting the global south that needs to make such huge steps, huge changes um, to the way that they are able to organise their economy, first and, first and foremost. I'm uh, Rupert Reid, I'm a former XR spokesperson, I'm author of Parents for a Future, I teach philosophy at the University of East Anglia. So a good cop would stop all f new fossil fuel exploration, that is a sort of basic minimum threshold for what a good cop would look like. That's not going to happen. JP Morgan and others are going to carry on uh, funding it. A sort of minimally decent cop would pass what we in my uh, organisation Greens Can are calling the 10 tests for cop. That's things like you've got to pay at least 100 billion you've already promised to poor countries. You've got to do something about animal agriculture. You've got 10 criteria they've got to meet for a minimally adequate cop. They're not even going to do that. We're going to get a bad cop or possibly a terrible cop. So yeah, that's where we're at, tragically. My name is Heidi and I'm the Executive Director of Jubilee Debt Campaign. We are debt campaigners and so we are interested in the relationship between uh, debt and climate and in particular we believe that there can be no climate uh, justice without debt justice and so for us a good outcome for COP would be that we would see climate finance being given in grants not loans so that climate finance isn't increasing the indebtedness of global south countries. We would want to see um, debts to be cancelled for countries that require it and that uh, thirdly we'd like to see debts being suspended when countries are hit by a climate disaster like a hurricane or flood or a storm and and for a fund to be set up to pay for loss and damage again because we don't want to see global south countries getting into further into debt just to pay for the rebuilding and reconstruction of their countries when they are devastated um, by an extreme climate event. My name is Asad Rimin, I'm the executive director of War on Want uh, which is a radical anti-poverty human rights and climate justice organisation. So I think we're going to look at two two different things. A good cop, first of all, in terms of the policy outcomes that are needed here, would mean that we turn a one point, uh, what is likely to be a three degree cop into a 1.5 degree cop, which means real zero targets by 2030 for the rich countries. Of course, meet in real terms their 100 billion target. Um, not the So far they've met 20% 20, 20 of it, and of 80% is in debt-creating loans uh, and none of that money is of course based on need. We know that need is in the trillions but if they meet the 100 billion and begin the conversation about the need. Third, that we have an adaptation goal. The ability of countries and our people and our frontline communities to adapt to the climate crisis is overwhelming them already. We know the killer flood strikes that are happening so we need an adaptation goal. Fourth thing that we need here is recognition now of loss and damage, recognising that the damage that's been done to people, in people's homes, territories, displacement to people, requires rich countries to accept liability. And that means finance and technology transfers to the global south. The fourth fifth thing is we have to stop the carbon markets. The idea of net zero on the carbon markets that you can continue to pollute and then bank on risky and unproven technologies of the future to suck out carbon is both mad and of course further sacrifices the global south in terms of impacts about land grabs. But much, much more importantly, as part of that, as long as that, we also need to start talking about 
what is the justice transition of the future? How are we going to tackle both the climate crisis and the crisis of inequality? What is the global economy going to look like? How do we guarantee people the right to energy and food? How do we guarantee people living wages and social protection? The right to housing and health and education? And how do we do it within planetary limits? We know it can be done, but it's a very, very different approach to the approach of competition and of the market. It requires solidarity. And if in 10 days that's not what we get, mm. <laughs> what should what should our activism and our campaigning and our movement of movements look like for the next two or three years in response? I think it's I, I think the climate movement is much stronger than it's been previously in this country, there's no doubt about it. And the number of people talking about this now. And I was just saying to somebody, you know, think back to Paris when it was six years ago and we were still debating whether climate change was actually happening um, and whether human beings were causing it right that was the big debate in the media and you know even at cop there's none of that debate anymore everyone accepts it and everybody accepts the change has got to be absolutely massive um, so we are moving forward on that but i still think that an awful lot of the activism is about a green new deal or whatever you want to call it a green transition in, in this country and in this part of the world that is vitally important but we can't just pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist. Um, because if we do, you're going to end up, and, and really I think this is where you know, leaders like Boris Johnson are going, trying to kind of recreate the economy we've got now, but without carbon in it. Um, and what's that going to mean? Well, for a start, it's going to mean we don't have enough metal in the world. And, if, and essentially you need to um, create new neo-colonial trade relationships to extract, continue extracting resources from other parts of the world so that you pay for our green transition. That's not fair. Um, it's not sustainable. It's not going to work, ultimately. So we need a really thoroughgoing um, restructure of the global economy um, that begins to share out our resources that we now know are limited a lot more fairly, and we need to put that at the heart of, 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 of how we go forward. Um, you know, there's a lot of criticisms of, of India's announcement uh, was it yesterday um, to phase out um, uh, fossil fuels by, by 2070, and people saying it's too late. Actually, India's historical contributions to climate change are really, really small, and, 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 it, and it's our responsibility first of all. But we could bring that forward if we were just prepared to actually give proper climate funding and climate support and restructure the, the global economy in such a way um, that we can actually share our resources more, more fairly. Um, and, and, and that's, for me, a very, very small part of the conversation at the moment um, in COP, but also it's not where it should be, I think, in the activist space and in the movement. Um, and so thinking, I mean, hopefully, we've already not been able to get as many international speakers here as we would have liked to have done because of COVID and vaccine inequality and all the rest of it. But, but, but hopefully, nonetheless, it has given people some insight into struggles that are going on around the world and, and, and how, our, you know, how we, we still live with a very neo-colonial racist economy and we need to redress that if we have any hope at all of dealing with climate change because the only way to deal with climate change is to do it fairly if you want it to be sustainable. Great question. So firstly, on the day when the final agreement comes out, it's probably Friday, November the 12th, we need to mark that occasion, we need to make clear to everybody that what's been decided is brutally and horribly inadequate. Uh, one way in which that will happen is there will be a demonstration at the perimeter of the Blue Zone on that day and I urge everyone who's in Glasgow to go and be part of that. That is absolutely crucial. That is a moment that should live in history. This moment where we wake up and realise, my God, they're not coming to save us. The world leaders are planning to, to let us down. That's the tragic reality. And thereafter, we need to carry on with that, with that consciousness shift 
we need to look after people who are going to be, many people are going to be bitterly upset and disappointed and despairing. We need to support them and we need to start to pivot more towards adaptation. We need to do what the Transition Towns movement has been calling for for years. We need to get serious about transformative adaptation because bottom-up action is going to be the main thing that's going to get us through what's coming. Our leaders are not. They are not coming to the rescue at COP. Uh, forward-looking, um, of course, as, as, as determined and committed as, as, as possible, and, and what is now is uh, our committed and, and, and uh, deeply committed movement. But then, but then also something that will show that there are alternatives, there are hope, and that we are finding various means and ways for strategies and also for struggle. That this is a continuing struggle. We are we are we are building our movement together, and and we we won't be silenced. We will keep on demanding. Uh, or even if our if our partners, brothers and sisters, and fellow campaigners in 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 the developing countries were not able to come here, they are with us in spirit. We've been together preparing this for two years. So that's a big uh, that's that's a big process of uh, of of really knowing, deepening the relationship. So it can only move forward. Yeah, so we don't expect these outcomes to be honest in the next, you know, ten days before the end of the, the end of the COP. We fully understand that this is a fight that we need to keep fighting. That we need to keep these issues on the agenda. We need to keep building um, awareness, building power within the movements. Um, and and I think the most important thing is persistence and, and not 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 giving up on this issue even when COP doesn't end up the way that we think it's going to end. Um, and so I would say to I would say that we need to continue to uh, work together, build solidarity between the movements continue to listen to each other find out where um, each other where, find out where the dots are and make those and join join them up the question about the cop and before and after is like the number one question of all and it should be the number one question how are we building our power so our power is bigger than their power and how are we weakening their power because if you go into those climate negotiations there are thousands of delegates there from big corporations from businesses who are saying don't worry, we'll, we'll be the solution. The announcements that are being made by governments are overwhelmingly saying, hand policy over to big business. Let big business be the solutions. We've no big business are the ones that have taken us to this brink of catastrophe. So what we have to be doing after this COP is building power, but also building our movement of movements and building our movement movements on a radical demand of what a just and justice transition looks like.